Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up unto a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I should like to address the sermon today, first of all, to Don Benedict, because today is the anniversary of his monastic consecration. And so I will be speaking to Don Benedict. And I should like to address the sermon to Don Basil, because Don Basil is a seasoned monk. This is not his first transfiguration in the cloister. And I should like to address this sermon to Nathan, because Nathan is at the beginning, taking the first steps of his ascent of Mount Tabor. And I should like to address Anne and Rita, who are back with us at last. And Particularly for Anne and Rita, today's feast has a special significance because in Carmel, August 6th was always kept as a kind of mystic festival of the holy face of Jesus. You have the icon of the holy face there. It was the custom in some Carmels to anoint the image of the holy face of Jesus on August 6th with a precious perfume. And in the life of St. Therese of the Child Jesus and of the holy face, August 6th is a key date because in her final illness, lying in her bed, she asked that the picture of the holy face be brought to her and she had it fixed to the curtain of her bed so that she could suffer with her eyes fixed on the face of Jesus whose divine eyes were fixed on her. And it was on August 6th that St. Therese entered into the last phase of her illness because she died, as you know, on the following September 30th. We find ourselves today also exactly 40 days from September 14th, Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And with today's feast, we enter into a different season of the liturgical year in this sense. All of the feasts from now until the end of the liturgical year will be eschatological in character. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But they all reveal something of the splendor of the kingdom of God. Today, the splendor of the kingdom is revealed in the face of Jesus that shines more brightly than the sun, and in his garments whiter than snow, or whiter 
than any fuller could make them. Today the kingdom of God is revealed in this mysterious manifestation of the Holy Trinity. The Son transfigured, the Holy Ghost in the cloud of light, the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And in a week's time, we shall celebrate the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Again, a feast that reveals the kingdom, because the Mother of God is that woman clothed with the sun, having the moon under her feet and crowned with twelve stars. All of the imagery of the Feast of the Assumption is taken from the book of the Apocalypse. And if you look closely at the Mass of the Assumption, you will see that it is as if the liturgy were opening a door and allowing us to gaze in through the chink at the indescribable beauty that is prepared by God for those who love him. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, the welcome that God reserves for those who love him, which welcome is given first of all to the mother of God in the mystery of the Assumption. And then we have on September 14th in 40 days time yet another eschatological feast because the cross is that tree of life. Uh, a tree, uh, the leaves of which never fade. A tree that continually bears fruit, not once season, but twelve times. And so we, in the liturgy of September 14th, we shall be drawn even more into the mystery of the heavenly Jerusalem. Then, on September 29th, the Feast of St. Michael, we see the angelic hosts and uh, we are invited to bend the ear of our hearts to catch just a little bit of that symphony that is the liturgy in heaven. The liturgy in which all of the angels are ceaselessly engaged, singing in every possible way, holy, holy, holy. And then after September 29th, much could be said about the month of October, but we will come to the last Sunday of October, the Feast of Christ the King. And this again is a feast of the kingdom, an eschatological feast. The Christ whom today we contemplate transfigured, at the end of October we shall contemplate as the King who will come in glory at the end of this age. And then a few days after Christ the King, we have 
the Feast of All Saints, the Feast of the Church Triumphant. And on this feast, we are given um, the vision, as it were, of this vast, multicolored mosaic that is, that is this, this immense heavenly icon of all the saints. And then on November 2nd, we remember the church suffering, the souls in purgatory again, uh, an eschatological mystery, because it calls us to consider the four last things. And all of this prepares us, of course, for the first Sunday of Advent. So, all of that is a way of saying that today begins this final harvest tide, if you will, of the liturgical year, this uh, final moment of the church's year of grace, that as we live through it, will pick up momentum until we are brought to the first Sunday of Advent. So all of that by way of a little introduction to what begins in the liturgy today. But what I really wanted to say uh, has to do with the monastic vocation and today's feast. There are, I think, two feasts that are peculiarly monastic. Why do I say this? And what are these feasts? The first is the Feast of the Ascension. And the Ascension is like the Transfiguration in more than one way. But on the Feast of the Ascension, we are given this image of the contemplative church. It's beautifully depicted in iconography. Our Lady and the Apostles are standing, gazing up into the heavens. That is what a monk does. A monk is a man who lives with his gaze fixed on the invisible. A monk is a man who, having caught that last glimpse of the face of Jesus as it disappears into glory, cherishes the memory of that face in his heart. The monk is a man haunted by that fleeting perception of the face of Jesus. And today's feast, look at the antiphons. Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up onto a high mountain apart. Note that the initiative comes from Jesus. It was not Peter, James, and John who said to Jesus, Lord, let us go up the mountain. It was rather Jesus who took Peter and James and John and led them up onto a high mountain and the gospel says seor sum which means apart. A monk dear Don Benedict, dear Don Basil, dear Nathan is a man called by Jesus and led by Jesus to a place apart. 
And the monastic vocation begins not by any movement or inclination of what we are, but rather it is a divine initiative. One to which we are left, we can respond, one to which we can respond freely or choose not to respond. Peter, James, and John allowed themselves to be led up the mountain and Jesus was there transfigured before them. That is to say, they saw Jesus in that hour as he was and is always. One has to wonder, were the eyes of the apostles opened to see the glory of the divinity of Jesus shining on his face and resplendent in his whole body? Was the miracle that they saw or was the miracle that Jesus uh, revealed himself in such glory? I think it was both. Jesus revealed himself and at the same time opened their eyes to see what he revealed. And uh, this speaks to the monastic experience. In the monastic life, Jesus progressively reveals his face and gives to the monk the capacity to see what he is revealing. And this passes, as St. John Cashin says, through the purifications that make a man clean of heart. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall, what? See God. And so the whole monastic journey is one of purification of the heart, that we might see, as St. Paul says, with the eyes of the heart, all that Jesus would have us see. And the focus in the second antiphon is on the face of Jesus. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment became white as snow. A monk is a man fascinated by the countenance of Christ our God. St. Paul says in the second epistle to Corinthians chapter 4 that the glory of God is revealed to us shining on the face of his Christ. The monk is a man who cannot get enough of the face of Christ. He seeks the face of Christ at every moment. He seeks, and this is the Benedictine way, to seek the face of Christ in all the circumstances of daily life, the face of Christ in the Word of God, shining through the sacred page, like the face of the Beloved, shining through the latticework and the canticle of canticles. The face of Christ in the brethren, St. Benedict would have the monk see the face of Christ in the abbot, and in the guest, and in the pilgrim, and in the stranger, and above all in the sick brother. And the monk begins also more and more to see the face of Christ in the sacred host.
this Eucharistic face. That sacred host that in a few moments Father Benedict standing at the altar will hold in his hands. There you have concealed beneath the sacred species the human face of God. When Father Benedict will hold that host in his hand, he is holding there the human face of God. And by face, we mean not simply a part of the human body. Face is countenance. It is that by which a person enters into communion with another person. That's why we speak of face to face. And the face of heart, face leads always to the heart to heart. And so this contemplation of the Eucharistic face of Christ in every Holy Mass, indeed at the moment of Holy Communion, Corpus Domini Nostri Jesu Christi custodiat animam tuam ad vitam eternam. In that moment, the face of Christ shining more brightly than the sun is held before your face. That is an extraordinary moment at Holy Communion. When we come before receiving the body of Christ, the priest presents us with the sacred host, we find ourselves in that moment face to face with Christ. And the particular grace of the monastic vocation is that the more one perceives even a glimmer of the countenance of Christ our God, the more one is set aflame with desire, wanting to see more and more and more, until the veil falls. And as St. Thomas says in the last verse of the Adorate Devote, one finds oneself uh, filled full, completely satisfied with the contemplation of the unveiled face of God in eternity. Jesu quem velatus hic nunca spicio. Jesus, whose face now I see veiled, oh, give me this what I so desire, to see thy countenance unveiled in eternity. And I think this is uh, why I consider the Feast of the Transfiguration to be a peculiarly monastic feast because it leaves a man uh, filled with, with a sweet and a sweet yearning but it's at the same time it's, it's something of a torment uh, with a sweet yearning uh, to uh, behold the face of God when all the veils fall. Because for this did God create us, to gaze upon him eternally in light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.